this is Bernard Fraser, and you're listening to The Essence of Cool. In this final episode of our three-part series on Canadian producer-songwriter Tim Thorny, we meet up with entrepreneur, songwriter, and former Much Music VJ Erica M. We talk about Erica's 10-year musical relationship with Tim, how he helped shape her career as a songwriter and producer, their work with other artists, why he was her guardian angel, and how he broke up with her for Alanis Morissette. I joke, well, sort of. On that note, let's get started. Erica M., welcome to The Essence of Cool. Why, thank you, Bernard. <laughs> I haven't seen you in 25 years. This is a big deal for me, so, you know. Well, it's cool. Like, Do people know that you were my producer on a TV show? Some do, but now, <laughs> now everybody does. <laughs> it's been a little over a year since Timmy passed. How are you feeling about it? How are you dealing with it all? When you said that, my throat just closed up. Um, now to be a hundred percent honest, Tim and I didn't spend a lot of time in person for probably the last 10 years, but we communicated all the time through social media. I went to visit him in, in Collingwood. Um, and we, so we were in touch, but Tim is, he is almost strategic in who he surrounds himself with. And I was a huge part of his life for literally 13 years, 10 years where we were songwriting partners and three years before that. And then his creative juices or whatever it is, it ends with that person. And then he moves on to his next creative collaborator. And he was always on a search for a creative inspiration. And I am so proud that ours lasted so long and that we created so much together and understood that when he moved on to his next collaborator, who I'll tell you who that is throughout this conversation, because it's a funny story. It had nothing to do with me. It had everything to do with his need to do something new and cool. Right, right. Take me back to the beginning of that 13-year collaboration, the very beginning. How did you get to, how did you meet him? How did you get to know him? He reached out to me on a phone, on a phone call because I don't think there was email or it wasn't very prevalent at the time. Yeah. Um, so that was probably in 89, probably 89, maybe 88, reached out to me and asked me to do voiceovers for his uh, commercials. He, was, he had a production company called the Einstein Brothers, and they produced a ton of jingles and commercials. And so he hired me a bunch. And then, you know, he dug me. And so we, we just became BFFs. We just started hanging out together. And uh, he was a great friend and fun. He's so much fun. And then what happened was um, I was working at Much Music, obviously, at the time. I went to my bosses to get a raise because I found out that I was making less than all the men. And the boss at the time said to me, well, you're very difficult to work with, so we're not going to give you a raise, which was probably the furthest thing from the truth. As you know, Bernard, because I worked with you and I like to collaborate, et cetera. And he was saying, I don't work well with people and all that. I was like, you're full of shit. And so I stood up and I said, fuck you. I quit. And I literally quit my job. So that was in 88, 89, probably 89. And I called Tim, my BFF. Tim, I quit my job at much. He goes, Emmy, oh my God, can you write a song? I said, I don't know. I've never tried. He goes, come on over. So I drove to his house in Stouffville and you know, picked, up, picked up his guitar and started strumming something. And we wrote a song called Your Place in the World. And he's like, Emmy, that's not bad. You never did this before? I was like, nope. And we, he said, come back tomorrow. And we started to write together. At the same time, I didn't answer my phone for four days 
And on the Monday or Tuesday, John Martin called me, who ran much music. He wasn't the boss that I quit to. And he goes, Erica, come on, this is crazy. I said, I want my raise. He says, all right, you can have your raise. So I got my raise and an entirely new career that I never dreamt that I would have as a part of a songwriting duo, a team that eventually became business partners, started a record label together. He really was one of the most important people of my life. In the beginning, um, as you say, you were doing VOs for uh, commercials that he was uh, he was doing. Do you remember some of those? What were, were some no. of the most memorable? No. I'm at the stage of life, Bernard, where I've lived so long and I've had so many incredible experiences that there's only so much room on my hard drive, I think. Right. My, brain hard drive. Yeah. So I can't remember some of those details. I just remember he's, he's like a lunatic and it was always fun. Whatever he did, he was, and he worked with another person who, you know, Jody Calero was his business partner at the time. And so my old friend. So, yeah. Um, so you got to, you got to know and hang out with uh, Jody. Yeah, for and, sure. Uh, yeah. Jody's an awesome guy. He was my very first music producer uh, when I started out in music and we went to school together. Um, so from that point forward, from the point that you called him to say that you'd quit your job, you zipped over, you wrote um, your place in the world. Then for another 10 years, you're songwriting partners, but you, you don't have, you didn't have any songwriting experience at that point. No. Um, so nothing to really compare it to. So it may be, maybe a bit of a difficult question, but what is it like to sit in the same room as this? Well, I mean, I'm going to call him a musical genius because I think he was, uh, to sit and watch him ply his trade. What was that like? Well, I didn't watch him. I was in it with him. We made a deal. This is a really interesting, this is one of the beautiful things about Tim that probably speaks it says so much, speaks volumes. Mm-hmm. And he says, Emmy, because I didn't know the rules of songwriting, he laid the groundwork, which is, Emmy, we're going to walk into the room. We're going to walk out with a song. It's 50-50. So we don't need to count our words. We don't need to say, you wrote this part and I wrote this part. We're going to walk in. We walk out. We're partners. Mm-hmm. I have a feeling he did that with everybody. That way... You're not fighting for your part. You're fighting for the song. Right. Because we're both equally invested in its success. And so I didn't watch him. It was a it was a very interesting experience, I think, for me, uh, growing my creative brain, which was we would walk into a room and I would often have ideas for a song. Um, sort of conceptual or a few words or a book I'd read or a movie that I'd seen or something that I ha- that happened in my life. Or he may have a musical riff that he had, but often he just started riffing it right in front of me. Hmm. And then we both sort of went down this hole of creation, really. And we just would throw ideas, no stupid ideas, he would say something. I'd go, oh my God, I love that. And I go, no, I don't like that. But we never took it personally. It was just, we both like, we're, we were in creative love Hmm. and anything that we did was respected and dismissed with equal love. And we just, we had the best time. We had the best time and we just fed off each other. I learned how creatively intuitive I am. I understood that I had a gift for language. I knew how much music meant to me. I mean, I had been sort of a part of the world of music. And I guess the years of listening and his sort of creative guidance, because he kind of would take my idea and weave it in. And then he was teaching me, you know, this is what a chorus is. This is what a bridge is. I also realized, well, I knew 
and he was able to articulate it. I have no relative pitch. I can't sing. I really cannot sing. Like it's a disability. So I would hear music in my head. I would hear melodies in my head and I would try and sing it to him. And he'd go, you mean like this? And he would play it on guitar. And I go, no, no, no. Like higher, I think. And he would say, you mean like this? And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that. He goes, that's weird. He goes, but I like it because I was completely untrained. Right. I would come up with these weird ideas that made no sense. It didn't follow any rules. And he liked, he liked it. He would just go with it. Right. In the beginning, you were writing for writing's sake, but at some point you started writing for other artists. In fact, we didn't write for writer's sake. Very quickly, we had a strategy. Because Tim, in his creative genius, is also business genius. Mm. And so he, we broke the rules, which was, Emmy, let's put a band together. We'll write the songs for a band, and we'll get Joel Feeney, who was one of the session singers who worked with Tim over the years. And I think he was also in the front with Tim, which was Tim's oh, pop band right. in the early 80s, I guess. I right. It was before my time with him, so I didn't really know it. And he obviously stays close friends with all his musical collaborators. And like I said, Joel was in a lot of his sessions singing jingles. And so we created a band called Joel or the Western Front, I'm not sure if Joel Feeney's name was in it. I think the first thing that we did, in fact, was we wrote a single for the country radio station at the time. So in 1989, 90 was like the new country shift. And there was Kiss FM right. in Toronto. And so we wrote a song for it. And I, I'm not sure if it was a commercial for them or they asked for a song. And it did so well that Tim said, let's do a whole album. And so we did a whole album with Joel Feeney and the Western Front. And I can't remember, but there was a record deal. And it got a ton of airplay on the radio. And then Tim said, let's do it again. Let's find an artist. And Peter Lee was um, an engineer at the studio off Carlton. I can't remember the name of it. Manta sound, maybe? Oh, Manta, okay. And um, Peter Lee said, because he was producing the Joel Feeney, or he was, he, I don't know if he was producing it. I can't remember, sorry. Okay. No more space in the brain. But he was the engineer on it, maybe? Mm -hmm. And he said, well, I know this girl named Cassandra Vasek, who's a fantastic singer. So we met her. And um, she sang a few songs for us. And Tim and I went, holy shit, she's amazing. She had no interest in writing songs. And in fact, didn't really have much to say, to be honest. But she was an incredible singer. Mm -hmm. So Tim and I wrote three albums ultimately for her. But we wrote the first album. And it was essentially the story of my life. <laughs> it was all the ups and downs that I was going through in my life. Right. And she sang, she sang my life. So speaking of those first couple of albums, uh, Cassandra albums, um, here's a man who is clearly at the top of his game as a songwriter, as a jingle writer, as a producer. And you sit down to record um, the first two albums with Cassandra Vasek, and he puts you in the producer seat. Co-producer seat. So what we decided, first of all, was that not only were we going to write and produce and oversee the entire album, but we would start our own record label. So we started Them Records, okay. Thorny M, T-H-E-M, Them Records. So we owned the whole process. And Them Records was distributed 
and sort of it partnered with Sony Music. So it allowed us to have complete creative control. Wow. The way that I ended up being a co-producer was Tim really valued my opinion because, you know, almost like in the case of much music, I am a fan. I am your average listener. I don't hear sort of the finer music um, theory in it. Mm-hmm. All I hear is what it feels like. And so I produced the vocals because I could hear them in my head. And it was more of like, I'm actually, I'm a wannabe theater performer. And so to me, the the vocals are an acting performance. They're they're evocative. They you need to not only does it need to be in tune, but it needs to make me feel something. Mm-hmm. So I worked with Cassandra on the vocals, and Tim was there, but that was sort of our role. And then with the actual music production, which I knew nothing about, I would lie on the sofa and I would often fall asleep, and then I would wake up if I heard something I didn't like. Oh, wow. And I'd go, wait, wait, what was that, Tim? And I was like, that's weird. I don't like that. Or why? Or, you know, so it was more that I was sort of this, I don't know, um, canary in a coal mine kind of thing where something would just trigger me. So he really was the producer. Mm-hmm. But we were co-producers because it wouldn't have been the same record if not for me. Mm-hmm. And he, he, one of his the beautiful things about Tim is that he gives people power. Right. He was the opposite of a control freak. He was a mentor. That's why so many people loved him mm-hmm. is that he just had this incredible generosity of creative expertise that he shared freely and brought newbies in all the time and lifted them up. Right. He recognized talent. He could see people's potential and let them go with it. I think when you speak to Adam, he'll say the same thing to you. Well, it's funny you say that because uh, Adam and I have, we haven't recorded our interview yet, but we have spoken on a number of occasions and both he and Hill Krakutis, who I did uh, already record with, uh, mentioned that Tim had this wonderful capacity for understanding your essence even before you have explored the the creative boundaries of of that essence and then take this great leap of faith. And clearly he did that with you as he did with Hill and Adam and I'm sure countless others. Was there ever a sense at the time that you thought, wow, he really is taking this huge leap of faith with me? Uh, Sure. From day one, (laughs) of course, when he said, Hey, come right with me. I was so excited. It's like literally my dream come true to not be an outsider in the music business, which I was as a music commentator, it's looking at it and you're not actually part of the creative process for him to invite me in to make the music that I talk about was the, like, seriously, it makes me cry. was it really was life-changing. Yeah. He gave me the confidence to be a creator, not just a commentator. Right. He trusted me. He saw something in me that no one else did. There were a number of people that he had such great faith in. And uh, there was a Jody Calero, our mutual friend, uh, once said that Tim had a bit of the Buddhist monk about him in that he would, in a very selfless fashion, uh, look to enhance your artistry in whatever way he could. Right. Talk to me about that. Well, that's who he was. He just could have, he didn't push his vision. He just vibed with everybody. He, He was just, ironically, he looked like the scariest dude. And I remember when he got his, <laughs> when he got his uh, motorcycle, him and his brother, Tommy got motorcycles and they had their leather jackets and they both looked like bikers <laughs> and he looked scary. And yet he was the kindest, most sensitive person. Yeah. 
that I know that I knew he really was. He was like, that's probably what Jody is talking about with the Buddhism, which is he was a gentle giant. Uh, another thing Adam said sort of on that same note is that he was, he, he was the largest person in the room physically, demonstrably. Uh, he, uh, he had yeah. such a big personality, yet he was probably the most shy person in the room. No. Did you find that? No. I mean, when he hung out with my family, my my grandpa, my grandmother and my great aunt loved him. Mm. At first they were scared of him because I don't know if people know what he looks like, but he is big and he is big in his personality. He's not quiet. He was big, like you said. And at first my, my grandmother was like, who is she bringing home? <laughs> and then they, they met him and they loved him. Yeah. They lo- and he loved my family. My grandpa, my grandmother in particular loved her. Um, yeah, he was, I don't think he was the shyest. I just think he was the most sensitive. Mm. What was he like in the studio producing an artist? Give, oh, me, give me a sense of. He's just like, if it was like a cartoon, you would see this character and music pouring out of him. He just li- lived and breathed music and connection with people he always let the artist do their thing so for example when we wrote when we were producing our cassandra records well we did a bunch of records we did uh three cassandras two with don nielsen two tim thorny albums and two joel feeney records i think we did a lot of records together he had a team of trusted collaborating musicians many of whom he worked with on all these sessions who were just absolute pros. So he would play sort of the, a demo for them and they would talk about what Tom Timmy was looking for. And then he would just let them do it. He didn't direct them. Oh, wow. Oh yeah. He just was like Tom Sesniak. He knows what to do. Mm-hmm. You know, Brian Leonard, he knew what to do with, with percussion. Mm-hmm. Um, so he didn't direct the musicians. So the musicians loved working with him because he wanted each musician to bring what they do best right. to our music. He chose each musician for their style and their ability. So he didn't really direct them. And then once they did their track, they'd feedback and they'd work together. They'd go, oh, yeah, yeah, that's probably, yeah, okay, I'll do that. Like He would just speak this this musician language that I don't even understand, Right, but it's a different, it was, they loved him. Every musician in the studio loved working with Tim Mm -hmm. because he let them be artists. Our albums were not straightforward. There was an artistry about the production. Um, He sort of painted outside the lines with music and he just was unique and he was okay being different. Mm-hmm. And so musicians are different. They're artists. And most people want them to play what they're supposed to. Tim wanted them to play what they felt. Right. It's interesting because it's very much the way uh, David Bowie worked. Uh, he would hire people like Gail, uh, Gail and Dorsey or Earl Slick and take them into the studio, not tell them what he wanted because they already had what he wanted. It was just an effort of letting them do their thing. Well, it's the same thing. You know, if you're an actor or director, you, you hire the right people and you just let them go. Right. They already, they already embody much of what you're looking for. Yeah. It's like talked about Tim's generosity um, and his kindness, of course. And um, I was just reading an, an interview with Alanis Morissette, and she said that after she finished touring Jagged Little Pill, she was looking for refuge. So she wound up on Tim's doorstep. She said, uh, and I quote, he was the first person I thought of in terms of being in an environment where I would be loved as a human being versus an artist. 
But that was really, that was Tim, wasn't it? He just, he loved people and wanted to cherish them. So we'd been working together for 10 years. We had won Juno's, Country Music Awards, Songwriting Awards. And one day he said, Emmy, I'm breaking up with you. And I was like, I was like, what? But smiling. Because right. it's, you know, it's all good. And he goes, I said, who are you breaking up from me for? And he goes, Alanis. <laughs> and we ended up writing a few songs together. Um, and when I say together, I wasn't in the room with Tim and Alanis. So they started a bunch of songs and then he'd bring them to me and then we would finish them off. Um, and then he just ditched me a hundred percent. And I say that with love. Right. It was time. I knew I had him for 10 years. And when, when he said Alanis, he goes, man, that she can sing. Like you cannot believe right. he, like what happened is he fell in love with me for what I brought and who I was because he, he saw me. Most people don't see me. They, they would see me as a girl on much music, but he actually saw me right. and the same thing with Alanis. He didn't just see Alanis. She's a big star. He really understood who she is. And they're both musical um, adventurers mm. and they're both different mm. and they both feel deeply. And um, I'm sure she felt very safe with him because the fact that she went to him after Jagged Little Pill, which is when everybody wanted her, she mm. became very, very famous, very fast. Tim protected her. Mm -hmm. Tim was a safe space. He didn't want anything from her except to do cool shit. <laughs> and he's such a character that like when I was with him, I felt like the world around me didn't matter. It was just me and him. Yeah. Was the approach that he and Alanis were taking as songwriters demonstrably different from how you guys wrote together? So when the songs, those little song parts came to you from them, was it sort of a different take or? Not really. Huh? I mean, I don't know what the studio or the writing experience was like, who did what in the room. Right. Um, I know that she could sing as opposed to me. So I'm sure <laughs> that there was a lot more leadership in terms of melody, et cetera, um, from her. <laughs> Sorry, Tim. But um, no, I think ultimately the songs, I understood the framework that they had built. It was the same, you know, Tim, it, it's still Tim's sort of ultimate basic framework that he would build. And then it was, they would just jam together. Uh, and then we just filled in the blanks. So I don't know what their time was like in the, uh, in the studio, but I'm sure it was just sort of really intuitive and they just flowed and they just sort of did cool shit together. Mm -hmm. Was this the time, and I'm, I'm guessing it was great big music time uh, after Einstein and before Tattoo, um, that she was staying in the room upstairs in their studio? I'm trying to think of the time. Probably would have been. Uh, 94? 94? No, no, I think it was after that. I think yeah, that. no, because 94 is when I was at Much and we worked way after that, I don't remember. I, okay. I, I don't remember. So you wrote a lot of songs together with Tim, but he's also noted as a, an amazing jingle writer and jingle producer. Did you guys work on jingles together? We may have worked on a few jingles. The closest thing to a jingle that I could think of off the top of my head was a theme song for Pippi Longstocking. Okay. Um so Great Big Music was given the opportunity. So he and I wrote the song and then um, everybody at Great Big Music took a big chunk of it. Damn it. <laughs> um, because they they produced it, right. um, et cetera. So everybody took a big cut. But the song of Pippi Longstocking is standing on top of Mount Kilimanjaro. Watching the sunrise, wind in my hair. See, I can't sing. I'm going to go wherever I want to go. There's magic everywhere. That's me and Tim. Like that. So, and that was, we could write anything. Yeah. We really could. Kim Zayek asked Tim once uh, where he got inspiration from. And I think Tim's words were, look around you. Everything has either something lyrical or musical about it. 
Where, when you were working with them, where did he typically go to for inspiration? Well, I came up with the ideas for the songs. Okay. So maybe that's part of the attraction to him is that I really, I see inspiration everywhere. And um, he was more, uh, I don't think he ever came into the room with a lyric idea, but that isn't to say he didn't come up with the lyrics when we were in the room. Right. So we would just, we would have conversations. I kind of never knew what we were going to do. I would bring in a few ideas. Like I, I can't even think about now where I just know, for example, I read this book called Billy Bathgate and we wrote a song for Joel Feeney called poor Billy. It was a story of that. Or I had had a terrible breakup with some girlfriends who he knew. And many of the songs on Cassandra's albums are the story of that because I would come in and I would tell, I would talk about it and then we'd go, Ooh, that's a cool idea. Or let's take that. And so we, we just found inspiration to, we inspired each other Hmm. or I would come in and say, you know, I'm obsessed with cowboys. And I had this idea for these Um, galloping heroes in my world of pretend. That was my title. I often came in with a title. Cool. And, and then he would sort of, you mean like this Emmy? And I'd go, yeah, yeah, that's good. Uh So he, he used me, I think as inspiration starter, and then he was off. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, oh, let's try this. And I'd fill this in and we would just build it together. Every day was like a little castle that we would build. I wanted to share uh, the one story I have of you, me, and Tim, although we were never in the same room. 96, uh, I was preparing for season two of Real Life, and uh, Barb, Barb Williams and I were chatting, and I think it was Angela Jennings. Do you remember Angela from Real Life? No? Okay. Anyways, I think it was Angela Jennings who came into uh, a meeting that Barb and I were having one day and she had mentioned your name and that just started the wheels turning. And then the next thing you know, uh, Barb's sending you a deal memo and you're signing it and uh, we're off to the races. And one of the, one of my many tasks during that time was to redo the the theme song. Theme song. I remember. Do you? Of course. So uh, the guy that I had been working with for season one was just not working out. And you came along and you said, why don't you call Timmy? So I called Timmy. I ended up actually speaking to Tom. And then Tom gave the project to one of the other great big music writers. Brent. And that person and I were sort of working back and forth for several days. And basically I had given him sort of an outline of what I was looking for. And, uh, so he, he kept sending these little snippets back and they just weren't, they just weren't right. So at some point I nipped it, uh, nipped it in the bud and I called Tim and I said, man, <laughs> this is not working out. We need somebody to really look at this and understand the nature of morning show and what we wanted to bring to it. Um, and he said, man, just leave it with me. The next day he sent a demo, played it for you played it for Barb, and we fell in love. Nothing needed to be changed. It was perfect. Do you remember that? Well, I remember the themes. I remember saying, you should just use Tim. Like, why wouldn't you? Because he knows me, and he does music, and he does themes, and he does, you know, he was, he's an award-winning songwriter, producer. Perfect. And I remember that I loved it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I fell in love with it, too. Now, I often wondered, and I never, uh, never thought to ask you at the time, did he connect with you during the writing of that? Were you involved in that at all? I can't remember. Oh, you can't. Okay. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, probably to some degree, because he was my best friend. So right. why wouldn't he? But I, I don't remember specifically, you know, like we, he was my best friend. Yeah. Like literally we bought a house together. No, I wasn't his wife and I wasn't his girlfriend. I was his best friend, which right. is really different. And so he helped me buy my first house where his sister-in-law lived. She was my roomie, Rachel, for uh, not Rachel, Megan. Rachel was his wife. Right. Megan's sister, Rachel, lived with me. And they used it as an investment um, because ultimately in the end, I paid them all back. And, right. you know, it was, that is an example of his generosity. 
he changed my life once again. Right. Excuse me, once again, because by lending me money to buy my first house when I was 29 or 30, like I was a good bet to pay my my bills because he knew that I was a successful individual. Right. But he gave me a leg up in the market. He helped me. I would never have done it on my own. Yeah. So he's he was generous to me in every way. Yeah. And never asked for anything in return. He didn't do it. It wasn't conditional. Right. He just was generous. I want to take a second and I want to read a couple of excerpts from your Facebook post um, the day that Tim passed away, um, if you're okay with that. Um, You say, Tim was one of a kind. I'm pretty sure he was my guardian angel, a beautiful, profound soul who brought out the best in everyone around him. Nonconformist, unapologetic, poetic, musical genius, and deeply loyal. And I can say with 100% certainty the decade Tim and I were creative collaborators shaped who I am professionally and personally. Uh, I remember the night we wrapped production on one of Cassandra's albums. We sat in the darkened studio listening to the entire recording together. Mm. And he turned to me and he said, Emmy, it never gets better than this. I fucking loved our time together. How are you feeling now about knowing that Tim is, is gone and you had that time together what is the most striking memory? I really do feel like he was my guardian angel. Like he just called me one day and I'm just really, I'm very lucky that he picked me. Yeah. And you know, it's funny cause he would say the opposite. You know, he'd say, I'm so lucky. And he would say that to me, Yeah. you know, Emmy, you're the best. And he would always say how lucky he was to work with me. There was just like a, such a deep mutual respect, but I learned so much from him. I learned to be a business person from him. I learned that you can just do cool shit. Like you could make it your own. I learned from him about that um, sharing that 50% that, that don't, don't be greedy in the creative process find partners that you trust and then just share the, the experience and the wealth. And he, that moment that you describe, which in, in that, um, in my ode to Tim, that experience of sitting in that dark studio with him, just him and I listening to the album that we had created from the inception, i.e. finding a singer, writing, uh, I think there was probably 14 songs, producing it, and with no help, meaning no interference from the outside world. It was like our little world that we did that, like a six-month period. And he said, Emmy, it never gets better than this. And what he was talking about is People will now judge us. It's going to go out. This work that we did, just us two and Cassandra and the team, but our vision will go out to the world. But we are so proud of what we made. We created for ourselves, not to get a hit, not so people will say, well, you guys are great. We didn't play the record industry game. We made art together. And again, I think that that has stayed with me, which is every single thing that I have done, I do because I feel it is what I want to say and create. It's I stay true to my vision. And Tim really embedded that in me. And I think that's why so many people love him is that he was unabashedly, unapologetically Tim. 
and I am the same. I am unabashedly myself. If you don't like me, fuck off. Tim taught me that. He also taught me the fuck off. So <laughs> we're both, we both have no problem swearing. Um, I'm a little more demure, I know. Um, but, you know, we were both rebels. And I still feel like I am. I am unconventional. And that's why I love him so much because he, he really, he, he lived a very kooky life that was exactly right for him. And I am doing the same in my own way. Yeah. He had been ill for a while, but when did you find out that he was terminal? I think it was through Facebook when he posted. Now he was sick before. Um, and that's when I drove to Collingwood and hung out. He was fine, but he was sick. Right. But you know what, Bernard, he is a force of nature because he has been sick since I, he was diabetic. Right. When he and I were working together, he was ill already and he would drink, he smoked. He stayed up late. He ate shitty food. He'd eat sugar. I'm like, what are you doing? He, he didn't drink very much. He mostly had quit by the time that I met, but he was hard on his body. Yeah. And the fact that he was diabetic, I was like, what are you doing? And that guy, he cheated death many, many times. And I don't know if he would have regrets like, oh, I wish that I had, you know, lived a more austere life and not sort of succumb to my desires. I don't know. With Tim, he might have just said, fuck it. I live my life the way I want it. Well, it's interesting you say that because in my conversation with Tom, he alluded to that, that um, <clears throat> there was an option for him to, um, I guess, get dialysis in the home. Um, and he thought about it and said, screw it. I don't want to be a burden to everybody. Um, I'm just going to go out my own way. I don't know if he would have been considered a burden, but I think it's the idea of he couldn't live, you know, that was limiting his, his life. That also might've been, I don't know. I don't know. I can't, I can't think of what it must have been like for him. I don't know. But all I know is that I hope he knows. I know the fact that he said he was sick and that outpouring, I just hope that people, I hope that it, it got to him in time so he was able to know how revered. Because I'll tell you something, when, when we worked together, we were not really highly respected or anything. Like, it's this outpouring of love kind of took me by surprise. I thought that Tim was a secret. Oh. I didn't know that he was so beloved by so many. Yeah. Because when we were together, it was not like that. It was, I mean, people, you know, the, the core musicians that he played with, et cetera. Yes, everybody loved him. Don't get me wrong. But the breadth and the depth of sadness... And the amount of people who he deeply touched and the profound loss that has been felt by so many, I, I really had no idea. Yeah. I don't know if after he posted that final Facebook post, if he watched the response or if he just shut Facebook off, but the response was extraordinary. I mean, you, as you say, so many people and he was so beloved. What was the last, what was the last conversation you had with him like? Um, it wasn't a conversation. It was probably, he liked something on my Instagram and I responded, ha ha. And he went, yeah, ha ha. Or like, remember that? Or just something, just something casual. Right. We didn't, I know that I left a note for him when I heard that he was sick, you know, just telling him how much I loved him. I don't know if he read it. But you know what? It's okay because he knows, like he knows, yeah. he knows how much I always loved him and love. Like he knows. 
So I have such a great picture from about, no, I can't remember because of the pandemic years disappeared, but maybe five years ago, I went to hang out with him in Collingwood and I have this great picture of the two of us, like just Mm. hugging on his doorstep. And my kids were like, who is this guy? (laughs) It was the, this is one of my best friends. And they were like, but he looks really scary. Like it was great because he was, he's such an unusual dude. Yeah. And, and his whole mannerisms are very Tim. Yeah. And uh, my, my kids were like, mom, you have the coolest friends. Was there anything you didn't say that you wished you had? No. Oh God, no. Oh no. I, I, I freaking loved him and would tell him all the time. Like, And he would tell me all the time when we worked together. Like we were, when I said loyal, I mean, literally I would kill for him and he did kill for me, not actually physically, but he, whenever I had a problem, he was at my doorstep. We were, honestly, we just, there's, okay. You asked me to pick a favorite song. Well, it's really hard Hold on, let me just. Yeah. It's really hard to pick a favorite song because many of the songs have this this connection, this old old fashioned values, which you kind of don't expect from Tim because he's such an unusual, gruff, on the outside guy. Mm-hmm. There was so many of our songs. On his album, actually, on Tim's album, which hearkened to a simpler time of kindness and empathy. And I we both lived it. Right? Like we just, you know, I, I didn't, I we were always a hundred percent honest with each other. We shared everything. We were always nice to it. 10 years, 13, really a friendship. We, we, the only time we fought is if he was drinking or something. And I'd say, you're a fucking idiot. What are you doing? Hmm. Other than that, we were just such great friends. And so there's a song. Um, uh, I can't remember what it's called. There's one called The Old Man and the Sea. That song was about, Tim used to go to Florida all the time. He had a condo there. Mm-hmm. And there's always these older people who are sitting on benches, looking at the, the birds and looking at the ocean. And um, it's it's um, what we guess these older people are thinking. Um and what their life must have been like, just rich in empathy. Mm. And that's so many of our songs were that is like how older people feel. Um, when the beauty fades was another one, which was about a couple who love each other, even um, as the woman becomes less beautiful, which he no doubt was writing for me. <laughs> Um, and then there's, um, when she comes to call, um, and that, uh, is about this written sort of from, uh, about, um, a, a man who's waiting for his date, her, his date, uh, when she comes to call, I'll be wearing my best. Like, it's just like an old fashioned sort of, oh, why do I cry? Anyway, it's just about a simpler time. Yeah. Do you listen back to those songs? Oh, sure. Yeah. Actually, what I'm trying to do is I want to put them out. Like, you can't find them anywhere on the internet. So I am trying to find somebody to help me um, rip them Mm -hmm. from the CDs and just put them all on YouTube on my channel all the songs that we wrote together and just have nice um, sort of images for each one. And that way people can find the songs. I don't really know the music industry anymore, so I don't know how to get the songs to be streamed anymore. Cassandra won best country album and 
best country vocalist, best country vocalist, not album. And we also won best duet, which was Cassandra and Russ, Russell DeCarl. Um, you can't find it anywhere. So I want to get it into the internet somehow. How would you like Tim to be remembered most? Uh, that he was unabashedly Tim. He was Tim. And he did what lit him up. I want him to be remembered for everything that I said in our talk. That he's just musical genius. Music just flowed out of him. And he shared it. And he supported people. Generous, kind, crazy. Full-on crazy. Unique. And he wouldn't change who he was for anybody. And I love that. Thank you so much for sharing your memories of Tim. Really appreciate it. Sorry for crying so much. Sincere thanks to Erica for sharing some deeply personal memories of Tim. This marks the end of Season 2 of The Essence of Cool. I hope you'll join us in Season 3 for more deep conversations with and about artists and their passions. Until next time, I'm Bernard Fraser saying stay safe and please support local independent artists. Yeah.